0: The Mary Trump Show with the Nerd Avengers is hitting the road. Yes, we're going to be live on May 7th at the House of Blues in Chicago, Illinois. May 9th at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, California. May 10th at the Aladdin Theater in Portland, Oregon. And on May 16th in my hometown, the Gramercy Theater in New York City. I really, really hope to see you at one of those shows. It is going to be amazing. To get your tickets, just go to politicon.com slash tour. There are 574 days until the 2024 presidential election. And uh, welcome to the Mary Trump Show with the Nerd Adventures. I was going to start the show simply by listing all the news that broke over the last week, but simply reading the list would have taken the entire show. So before we start, I just want to say this, as varied as our problems are, there's one unified solution, and that's getting as many Democrats into office as humanly possible and doing everything we can to mitigate the damage that Republicans do in places that they can't be entirely removed, like basically the entire American South. Um, one of the things we we mentioned last week is that, and, and I'm, I'm realizing more and more forcefully uh, as I think about it, is just, just how much we forget or are, na- or are, un- are unable to deal with uh, in terms of current events in our own lives, because of the constant onslaught Uh, you know, we're constantly seem, seem to be at the mercy of current events as they unfold, which they really have uh, with a vengeance lately. And the important things that um, important things that if they got our attention um, could improve our lives, our communities, our society in very profound ways. So today, and I hopefully, hopefully this will be the start of a trend on the show. Uh, We're going to take a step back and focus on one of the most important issues facing us uh, as human beings, as Americans, as a society. Um, First, I just also want to announce quickly, we'll talk about it more later, but on Friday, Jen Rubin is debuting her uh, newsletter at the Washington Post. So congratulations, Jen, very happy you could be here. And we'll, again, we'll talk about it later. But I really do wanna jump right in um, and focus today on criminal justice and mental illness reform. Norm, you are at the cutting edge of this issue. I know it's incredibly important to you as it should be to all of us. And I'd like, to, I'd like for you to start us off um, by talking about some of the extraordinarily effective initiatives that have been enacted in places like uh, Miami. And just a note to everybody watching, you absolutely must watch the documentary, The Definition of Insanity. It's absolutely extraordinary, it's moving, and it shows us the possibilities that face us if we do something incredibly simple, which is to inject empathy and kindness and humanity in our justice system. So Norm, I'm so happy you could be here today to talk about this.
1: Thank you, Mary, and thanks for doing this. Uh, So uh, as some know and others don't, um, we lost our son, Matthew, uh, on January 3rd, 2015, after a 10-year struggle with serious mental illness. At age 24, he had a psychotic break uh, it's that age range that it happens so much, um, and he was a brilliant young man who had been a national champion high school debater, went to Princeton, was out in Hollywood when this happened. Um, we don't know what triggered it, but a part of his brain disease was a phenomenon known as anosognosia, which is uh, he had no insight into the fact that he was ill. He would not take treatment. He had, as so many others uh, in these situations do, religious ideation. He believed that God had taken his soul, but not his body. He didn't know why, and he was on a quest to recapture his soul. Um, And taking medication um, uh, would uh, move him further from that path. So we had 10 years of hell, um, as we did, He died accidentally of carbon monoxide poisoning. He was living in a motel in Newark, Delaware, because like so many with serious mental illness, he smoked heavily, something in the nicotine that uh, hits the right synapses in the brain to ease the uh, whatever else is going on there. And so there's the dual stigma. Um, Smoking in this society makes you a pariah, uh, and understandably so. Um, And if you uh, have long hair and a beard, as he did, uh, he looked like Jesus, as so many people, uh, if you walk on the streets, you will see so many of them do. Um, That also was an issue. Um, So after he died, we formed a foundation in our family and we began to do our due diligence about the problems here. His was not a situation where he had been caught up repeatedly in the criminal justice system, Um, but... The vast majority of people with serious mental illness are in one way or another and a part of it is we have no facilities so uh, people end up in jail and in many cases sometimes they'll end up in jail for minor offenses like uh, sleeping on the streets we do it with homeless people they put them in solitary confinement which is the worst thing you can do and it makes matters uh, worse and a very large share of those in jails and prisons have serious mental illness a very large share of those on the streets have serious mental illness and anosognosia. Uh So we ended up uh, through a series of events down in Miami where this remarkable judge, Steve Leifman, transformed the way the criminal justice system deals with people with serious mental illness over a 20-plus year period. And what he did was to find ways to save lives and save money. And that's a critical part of this we pour a lot of money into very bad things. And by the way, it costs so much more to imprison somebody than it does to get them treatment or to find a bed in an appropriate place. But what Lifman did had many components. I'll just talk about a few of them quickly. And we're taking this around the country to try and spread these best practices. First, He trained, this is a huge county, by the way, Miami-Dade is the seventh most populous county in America with perhaps the largest concentration of those with serious mental illness. It's partly people who are there, but it's also people gravitate there. The weather, you're not going to freeze to death sleeping on the streets. The availability of drugs, because so many self-medicate when they aren't able to get other treatment. And a lot of them end up in jail with drug offenses, um, and they really uh, shouldn't be treated that way. Anyhow, one of the things that Judge likeman did, with more than 30 separate jurisdictions in this county, he has now trained over 8,000 police officers in a week-long program that originated in Memphis. And don't let's not get started on Tennessee yet. Uh, that uh, called Crisis Intervention Team Policing. It teaches people to see when uh, individuals are in crisis and how to de-escalate. And it's done in a lot of places, but it was particularly effective in Miami because what their crisis intervention trainer, who's terrific, uh, discovered was once they started doing this, they're getting between 150 and 250 calls a month from cops with their own mental illness issues. Huge numbers have PTSD. Um, More police die of suicide every year than in the line of fire. There are, of course, huge uh, problems with drug abuse, alcohol abuse, domestic abuse, um, and getting them treated, which they do outside the department, so they're not viewed as pariahs or taken off the street, has changed the culture of the police. But in the process of doing this, they cut the number of arrests in this county from 118,000 a year to 53,000. They were able to close one of their three main jails at a savings of $12 million a year. That's now 10 years. They've saved $120 million. They used to have an average of two shootings a month. Now they're down to one or two in the last five or six years. They improved the bond rating in the city of Miami because... Uh, the wrongful death suits that were costing taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars almost disappeared. But along with that, they have a pre-trial diversion program and, and a now a pre-arrest program. But the pre-trial diversion is if you come into their system and there's any history or signs of mental illness, and you can come in with a misdemeanor or a nonviolent felony, that's a lot of the drug offenses, you can have the choice of going to trial or going into a program where they find you housing and give you wraparound services and you come back to the court once a month, usually for a year, it's a personalized program. If you comply with the program, they expunge the charges, which is huge. And they've taken large numbers of people and actually given them back their lives uh, in this way. Uh, It was stunning to me Um, when I first saw this, and uh, my wife and I were blown away by the program, Um, and I, 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 right around the time that I met Judge Leifman, I had done my first public um, statement about what had happened to our son. It was several months after he died. The 21st Century's Cures Act, uh, uh, what ultimately got enacted, the first mental health reform Congress did, was foundering with uh, problems Uh, with a lot of members, but especially uh, with the man who was uh, trying to push it through. And I got called by several members of Congress saying, can you help? So I did a piece in the New York Times um, about what happened with my son. It really went viral. And one of the calls that I got was from the director of corrections in South Carolina, who said, I'm the repository of the largest number of people with mental illness in the state, and we don't want it. and We don't know what to do. And I mentioned Miami and he'd never heard of it. And I thought we've got to do something. So we did this documentary um, which aired on PBS, um, but you you can't do a documentary that airs and then it's over with. We wanted to use it as a catalyst to take around the country. So we've now done uh, that with uh, discussions with key players in many, many cities and, uh, and states with judges nationally Um, And we just got back, as Mary knows, from Portland, Oregon, where uh, Earl Blumenauer, the congressman from Portland, saw our documentary and pulled together an incredible program. Portland is uh, is a uh, has a lot of problems um, and they do not have the facilities to deal with this. And like so many other communities, they're foundering. And we pulled together a group that included the governor, the mayor of Portland, the uh, executive of the largest county, Multnomah, the sheriff, uh, several members of Congress and others, and some in the uh, mental health world. And I think um, they're going to start to act in ways that will change things. We've done the same thing in my home state of Minnesota, and Keith Ellison, the attorney general there, is eager to try and transform the system. Um, we're trying to work with uh, the new governor of Maryland, Wes Westmore. Um, Maryland actually is ranked 50th out of 50 states in access to treatment by the Treatment Advocacy Center. And frankly, it's because the most liberal states, Connecticut is also at the bottom of the barrel. Um, they, they, they take civil liberties, which are important and necessary, but move them to the extreme. As if people have agency and that individuals are saying, you know, I really want to freeze to death under a bridge. If you are delusional, if you don't believe you're ill, if you refuse treatment and over time you deteriorate, bad things are going to happen. Tragedies are going to happen. And we have to find ways to balance the civil liberties with the need to get people treatment who otherwise will refuse it. So, you know, we're trying to take this everywhere and There are other places doing good things. This is not the only model, but it's a model that works. And we're at a time when the need for criminal justice reform is palpable, the need for police reform, and you're not gonna do police reform unless you can find a way to get some buy-in from police. And we have an utterly broken mental uh, health system. And, And I will just end this lengthy monologue by saying, we know it's going to get so much worse after COVID. And we know it's going to get so much worse after the inhuman uh, Dobbs decision and what we're seeing with other uh, radical fanatic judges. Um, It's going to create a problem for women. For young girls who are raped and forced to carry uh, their rapists, which may include their relatives, babies to term, it's going to get a lot worse with people who don't know where to go. And we know with kids who were not able to go to school for a couple of years, um, we're already seeing uh, an increase in suicide and suicidal uh, ideation. And we know that serious mental illness, because stress can trigger it, especially if you're in that period from 17 or 18 to 25 or 26, when the prefrontal cortex is just developing, we're going to have more uh, schizophrenia and other kinds of serious diseases. So we just have to do something in this society, among the many other problems that we have.
0: I'm always trying to find ways to help the environment, whether it's recycling uh, or turning the lights off when I leave the room. Any little thing that I think could make a difference if you add it up collectively. But composting is never something I thought about because I live in an apartment and I don't have a garden. But then I realized, first of all, it doesn't matter. It still helps the environment. Secondly, I have houseplants, and they also need good, rich soil. So getting loamy was just another way to... Add to my contribution, um, I don't like feeling eco-guilt, you know, that I'm not doing my part to help the environment. And Lomi is the perfect way to make a difference and have pride in your contributions to helping the environment. Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with the push of a button, and you will love it as much as I do. Lomi is a sleek countertop electric composter that turns scraps into dirt actual soil, in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs, it's very quiet, and it's the perfect complement to a tidy, sleek-looking kitchen. Thanks to Lomi, I have much less garbage every week over a bag a week less. And in New York City, that's a really big deal. Uh, Since I'm throwing out less, that means my trash isn't going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, I'm turning my waste into nutrient-rich dirt that can be added to a garden and it enriches anywhere it ends up. I've learned that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. And with Lomi, I'm reducing the amount of food I send to landfill, so I'm helping to do my part. You can too, plus it makes cleaning up after big meals really easy. So if you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner easier, Lomi's perfect for you. Head to Lomi, that's L-O-M-I dot com slash Mary and use the promo code Mary to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I dot com slash Mary and use promo code Mary at checkout. Food waste is disgusting, let's face it. So let low me save you a trip out to the garbage can. You can also find the link in the show notes. Yeah, and Norm you could talk all day and I yes. would, I would listen to you. I uh, Jen Jen Rubin. I actually have a question for Norm. Um,
2: obviously the police component of this is so important. But we in, I forget what the year was, you probably know it, um, change our whole approach to mental illness from a mass incarceration process to a, you know, we'll let people out, but they'll have medication, they'll come back. But as you said, that's not very effective when people do not believe that they are ill, or the medication many instances uh, has side effects that they don't like. What do we need to correct course here? Is it uh, easier system for um, evaluation for people is it more education in schools and parents? What do we need? We're not going to go back to the days of you know mass um, you know incarceration, or should we? But what do we need to correct the system before you get to the police stage?
1: So one of the things that we know is early detection makes an enormous difference, and we also know that the vast majority of people who have a serious mental illness have had trauma in their lives. And often that trauma occurs early in childhood. We now have ways to measure. So if you look at women in prison, the vast majority uh, uh, have uh, faced sexual assault or other kinds of domestic assault. Young men have trauma in their families, things that they've seen. By the way, what we know with police is that if they've had a traumatic event during the day, not one where they were necessarily involved. Maybe it's going to a brutal murder uh, or uh, a scene of domestic uh, uh, violence, that they're more likely to uh, be involved in a uh, violent accident uh, or uh, event that same day. Taking people off the streets can matter. What we know is if you can check early on and find kids that you know have a greater propensity later on for mental illness, you can begin to track, uh, maybe find some ways to uh, get some early treatment uh, for them. That can make a difference. But what we also know, Jen, is that when we had this move to decarcerate, when we had the move to deal with these horrific insane asylums that were, uh, and often people put away because their families didn't want them anymore or wanted to get access to their money. Um, there were a lot of bad reasons and it was easier to do and we needed to recalibrate with civil liberties. But the whole idea was we were gonna set up community health centers for uh, with places for people to go. And they never appeared. And I will say a part of the reason was Ronald Reagan basically took away all the federal funding and the states simply never responded. So we need more beds. There are lots of places where you're actually getting good police or professionals who find somebody who's willing to get treatment, and they have no place to take them. Right. Sometimes they go to the emergency room. But if you're a cop and you go to the emergency room, you're going to have to wait there with this person for hours, and you're off the beat. Uh, And the easiest place in many uh, 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 places is jail. Now, what we also need is uh, more training for people. And it's not just police and how to de-escalate when you have somebody in a crisis. Look at all the uh, footage that we've seen uh, from cell phone cameras of a kid acting up in school and um, a, a peace officer in the school slams him against the wall or cops come in with a six, seven or eight year old, handcuff them behind their backs and put them in a cruiser. What are the odds that that person, which it may include somebody who doesn't have any history of serious problems, but got into a a tussle, usually a person of color, you get put in a police car. That's a trauma that's gonna stick with you for the rest of your life. So we're working with a psychologist uh, named Javier Amador in New York, who wrote a wonderful book called, I'm not sick, I don't need help, about anosognosia and how to communicate with people where logic isn't gonna work if that's in your head. And he trains people in how to build partnerships and de-escalate. And we need to take that to principals, to school health officials. We need to take it to prison guards and prison wardens. You know, we also need to, you know, if you're a prison guard, you're probably getting 10 or 12 bucks an hour You're working in brutal conditions, and you're not uh, trained to deal with any kind of uprising except by escalating. And of course, we see all these tragedies in jails as well. We need a top to bottom approach. What they're also doing in Miami, let me say, what Judge Lightman is doing, and this is going to happen within the next few months. He has gotten a um, a, a building that was formerly the place where they did competency restoration, it was terrific. And he's creating a a one-stop shop, which has 180,000 square feet. People can come in on the ground floor who are in crisis. Baker acted as they do in Florida. There's a courtroom there. Sometimes you need to have people who are actually, uh, you know, behind locked doors till they can be stabilized. But then they have beds for people who could stay for up to a year. They have a podiatry clinic, an eye clinic, um, and all of the things, a dental clinic, homeless people, often one of the worst problems that they face is from their feet, which can create an infection that can kill you as well. It's humane. And if you, they have a culinary facility, 5,000 square foot kitchen, where they're gonna take people when they're stabilized and give them training. And they're gonna have deals with caterers and restaurants in Miami so that people can go out and get jobs. If, If we do some of this stuff, When we were in Portland, there is a a hotel with 300 beds and two kitchens that the owner wants to sell at a bargain price. It's not far from uh, the place where actually uh, people in crisis go. If they can buy that and turn it into a facility where you actually have uh, places for people who can stay for a period, maybe even live there, um, you're going to get a lot of homeless off the street. In Miami, they had over 8,000 homeless people, they're down to 1,100. And of course, these are the, the toughest cases. They are the ones who uh, mostly male, mostly with serious mental illness. Um, it's going to be hard to deal with them, but they're finding that they're actually able now. One of the great things is we have these long-term injectable medications. If you can get people where you know the medications will work and give them something that can last for three to six months. What they're finding with some of the worst cases is they're giving them a little insight. Once they get a little insight, they're saying, I don't really want to live on the street and maybe be beaten up or uh, uh, have horrible things happen, have no place to go to the bathroom. And you can make a difference there. You know, this is, you know, to use the cliche, it's not rocket science. We, we're still way behind in terms of understanding the brain. Um, these medications, most of them are primitive in a lot of ways. We don't know exactly how they work, but we're getting better on that front. But we also know things that can be done that would make a difference in huge numbers uh, of lives. And then finally, one of the things that we've seen in Minneapolis, they don't have enough people in the places where people can go to work there because they pay them a pittance. We need some money up front, and we need to train people to be able to work with those with mental illness or dual diagnosis, and those with drug issues. Uh, and they're out there, and I think we can get an awful lot of young people. And a lot of these jobs, you don't need a college education. Uh, you know, we can get good jobs with people who can make a real difference in in the lives of those who suffer. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Um, Jen.
3: Norm, thank you so much for this. I'm wondering how could we bring the documentary Definition of Insanity to our own communities? Um, My law school is located in Springfield, Massachusetts. I'm sure um, either the Hamden County Sheriff or the Hampshire County North of us would benefit from this, or maybe the law school could sponsor an event. And I wonder whether all of us have different kinds of networks. I wonder if there's a way to use, you know, the law school world network, you know, to get, you know, I wonder how to get this into as many communities as possible. Uh,
1: That's uh, uh, great. And, you know, I I think uh, we've worked with uh, a couple of law schools um, and uh, uh, the documentary, first of all, is available for anybody to see or to use in whatever fashion they want. The You can get it online at doifilm.com. That's Definition of Insanity, D-O-I.
0: Yeah, we'll uh, put the link in the, the yeah. comments and we'll also put it in the show notes for people.
1: Or you can go to our foundation website, which is mornstein.org, and there's a link there as well. There are two versions uh, we premiered it at the Miami Film Festival, and there's an 80 or so minute version. And then there's the uh, uh, you know, version that we used, the broadcast one, which is 55 minutes, uh, which is also very, very good. And um, I'm happy to talk to you about having some people come. Um, I will say one of the most heartening things is the chief justices in all the states rarely make a policy statement. They have now made a policy statement about this. They want to change. You know, one of the problems we have, I would say, is in most states, the definition of what it takes to get somebody treatment is you have to be an imminent danger to yourself or others. And in most places, the way that's defined is you have to have almost literally a gun to somebody's head or a knife to your own throat. And then if you get uh, into a, a place to get treatment, They'll keep you for 72 hours, and once they determine that you are no longer an imminent threat, you're back out on the street and nothing positive has changed. So we need to change that definition for people who are delusional, and that's happening. And there are judges, we've been working with the Association of State Courts, um, which is all in on doing something about this. So we're getting enormous cooperation from judges, and Judge lightman obviously has been a major part of this. And that's been, uh, you know, I think uh, the bright spot here. But I, you know, we have not yet worked enough with sheriffs, with those running jails. I mean, you know, we have this terrible abortion of private prisons um, where their incentive is to keep people and uh, they want to, uh, you know, they love recidivism. Um, But if you are a public uh, jail or prison, you don't want... People there, and you especially don't want those who have some kind of mental illness. Uh, I prefer to call it brain disease because one of the great pathologies here, which we saw with our son, our friends, highly educated, uh, well intentioned, used to say to me all the time about my son, Why don't you just kick him in the ass? The term mental illness, um, you know, basically leaves people thinking that this is voluntary. It's a disease like any other organ. And we used to refer to our son's illness as stage four brain disease. Uh, uh, But, you know, jails are not places for them and they don't want them. And if you can bring what Leifman did was to get this incredible cooperation from natural adversaries, the prosecutors, the public defenders, the jailers, the police and the judges who all understood that this was gonna benefit everybody and save lives. So if we can pull them together in Springfield, that would be great. We started to get a little traction in Rochester, New York after Daniel Prue was you know, killed by these cops uh, when they put the hood on him. Every day there's somebody in distress and uh, there's a tragedy. Uh, police who are not trained, sometimes police who are trained, shoot. Um, and we've got to change that. And of course, if you're a person of color with a, a brain disease, mm-hmm. the odds of something really bad happening to you go up astronomically. Uh, that's the reality in our society.
0: Yeah, I just, I just want to um, to follow up on on a lot of what you've been saying. Um, just some statistics that I think are important for people to keep in mind. There are 400,000 people. In incarcerated uh, who have brain disorders, psychiatric disorders, every day in this country, at a cost of in excess of something like I don't I don't know eighteen million dollars a year. That sounds low. It costs thirty one thousand dollars a year to incarcerate somebody. It costs ten thousand dollars a year to treat them comprehensively uh, in community mental health services centers. I. Uh, With this program in Miami, the recidivism rate, including among nonviolent felons, fell from 80% to less than 25%. And one of the things that I found most striking uh, about the results in the documentary was, as I mentioned at the outset, the level of kindness, empathy, and humanity among not just public defenders, but prosecutors and judges. One judge actually said um, we have to believe in rehabilitation and redemption in order to be part of this program, which made me realize, wow, not all judges believe in either one of those things, which is a serious problem, right? Um, We saw police officers participating in a training program that was required in order for them to participate in this program. And one of them said, I learned more in eight hours than I have in nine years about dealing with and it also you know as as norm was alluding to it, it 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 shows us just how much responsibility we put on police officers you know so one they need to be trained differently but also they need assistance in the form of social health social workers and other mental health professionals because dealing with somebody who is having a psychotic break is very different from dealing with somebody who is purposely being violent and criminal, right? So it's it's making these distinctions. And the other thing, Norm, that I found so important was the emphasis on continuity of care. Uh, yeah. There was young young one one young man who got through the program. He'd messed up, and everybody was pulling for him, and they gave him another chance. He finished the program. He got a, a round of applause. He got a hug from the judge. He got her certificate. He got cupcakes and the, um, prosecutor congratulated him and said, okay, I'll see you next week. And the young man was like, what do you mean? He's like, never thought he'd see this man again. It's like, Oh no, I'm not letting you go. We'll stay in touch. And like, that's why judge Leifman's, uh, plan for creating these centers is so important because it's very different from, a state mental hospital, right? That's what happened when, when we had all of these advances in psychotropic meds meant the mentally ill, sorry, the, the people with brain disorders, psychiatric disorders went from being placed in dangerous, horrific state mental hospitals. If you want to know what we're talking about, check out the documentary, the Titicut Falls. Yeah. um, and went to being released as Norm, you said The Reagan administration did nothing to fund the proper treatment centers, and they ended up being incarcerated in dangerous, horrific prisons. So there's so much potential here. And I don't know. It just seems like all that would need, all we would need is for everybody in every elected official, (laughs) every municipal law enforcement agency. (laughs) To watch this documentary and talk to you, and you would think that they would jump at the chance, because I worked in a state uh, psych hospital in the admissions ward. It's very difficult work if you're trained for it, and you know if you're uh, if you're in the working in the prison system, you're not trained for it. And also, just one more thing. And then Jen Rubin, you go ahead. Um, I I was an intern. Uh, I didn't even have my PhD yet. I got paid more than everybody in that hospital except for this full-time psychologist and the administrators, which is, and I was paid very, very, very little, especially right. considering it was New York city. I made $26,000 that year and mm-hmm. I was paid more than 95% of the people in the hospital who, by the way, yes, I was working with the, the people they came in at their worst at their most ill, right. But the other people, they're cleaning, they're working with patients in more difficult situations, they're working with violent patients uh, when when patients get violent. They were doing much harder work than I was, and in some cases much more dangerous work than I was, and I'm getting paid more. It's just a broken system in that regard as well. Uh, Jen?
2: I think there's a misnomer in part because we get such a skewed view of crime in America that uh, people with brain disease are criminals. And in fact, they are so much, I don't know what, by what factor, so much more likely to be crime victims because they are not aware of their surroundings. They live on the street. Um, They don't pick up on uh, social cues and danger. And so I think, the attitude um, of so many Americans is either these are time bombs waiting to go off or they're a nuisance, they're bothering me, um, as opposed to understanding why that person is where they are. And I think it's rather indicative of a more generic problem in society, which I've talked about some, and that is an empathy deficit. You talk about empathy as being the core Um, factor that has to bind all these people together, care for your fellow human being. And um, I feel that whether you want to blame social media, whether you want to blame politics, whether you want to blame uh, churches that no longer care about people's souls, but care about, um, you know, electing their president, that we have become so much less empathetic. And in fact, there's a very famous study done that since 19, I think it was between 1970-something and the 1990s, that we became like 25% less empathetic. They could actually measure it. Um, And I don't know what we do about that, and maybe we just start by doing. Um, You know, there's very Jewish outlook, which is you may not believe it, just start doing it and pretty soon you'll believe it. Um, And it just seems that Um, Whether it's this, whether it's racism, whether it's a myriad of other concerns, empathy is what we need a big dose of. And we need public figures to model it, not to model bullying and disrespect and anger and um, all those qualities that have gotten us into the places we are.
0: You may have noticed that we live in extremely stressful times. And one thing that does not help is not getting a good night's sleep I waking up in the middle of night not being able to get back to sleep it just makes it harder to face the challenges the next day and one of the problems is just sleeping and being overheated and and just not getting the kind of deep sleep you need your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on the quality of your sleep so if you wake up too hot or too cold you've got to check out Miracle Maid's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Maid uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and their sheets use silver infused fabrics originally developed by NASA. That means Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and they're designed to keep you at your ideal temperature for relaxation. With Miracle, you'll get better sleep every night. And just imagine how great it's going to feel when you wake up in the morning feeling totally refreshed. Plus, the sheets are self-cleaning. Thanks to their embedded natural silver that prevents 99.7% of bacterial growth. They stay fresh and cleaner three times longer than other sheets. So stop sleeping on bacteria. With Miracle Brand Sheets, you can sleep comfortably knowing you'll have fewer clogged pores, fewer breakouts, and fewer skin problems in general. So go to TryMiracle.com slash Mary to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And with Mother's and Father's Day right around the corner, this is the perfect way to give someone you love the gift of better and more luxurious sleep. Save over 40% and be sure to use our promo code Mary at checkout to save even more and Get three free towels. Miracle is so confident in its product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com/mary and use the code Mary to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com/mary to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Maid, for sponsoring this episode. You can also find the link in the show notes, yeah, and norm you know when you when you put people in situations that in which they feel endangered, in which they feel stressed out, in which they feel in some regard they're the enemy, you know they are like police officers often must they're they're going to react accordingly. And, you know, that's that we did see that shift. And I think part of it is training, not just training to help them deal with um, people suffering from serious psychiatric disorders, but also changing the way they interact with their the people that they're there to serve and protect, which is like policing has become us versus them. And, you know, it's be and police departments have become so weaponized that I think there's this always this sense that. I'm in danger, and everybody in my community is, is potentially out to get me, where in the olden days, it used to be police officers were part of the community, right? So so that is definitely part of it. But, you know, Norm, the other mystifying thing is if you leave aside empathy, which we never should, but just for the sake of argument, this is financially so much better a system than the one it's replacing. That seems inarguable, no matter where you are on the empathy spectrum.
1: That's so, so true. You know, there are a couple of areas that are worth reflecting on from what you were uh, both saying. One is on police themselves. You know, we're not going to transform the police until we can change uh, the arbitration system, which basically means that uh, bad cops that police chiefs want to get rid of, they can't because the arbitrators inevitably are going to overrule them because you are not going to be an arbitrator unless the police union and the police chief accept you. And if you do anything that the union doesn't like, you're out of a job. So we're not going to change that. We're not going to get rid of all bad cops. And But what we can do is besides trying to change the culture through this de-escalation, is to change the training of new recruits. One, they're all trained now to shoot to kill if you're in a threatening situation. We know in a couple of places where they've tried to change it to shoot them in the legs or use uh, something that's less lethal, it makes an enormous difference. The other thing is you look at um, all the wrongful death suits that happen that are Basically hidden from taxpayers. They don't see that. Um, but all the money is going out of their pockets effectively because of this broken system. It, and you can make a huge difference and save tons of money and there ought to be ways to you know work with police to make that kind of a, a difference. and I, have, I you know I, I, you're so right. Most police, you know, I saw what just the other day two cops killed from a traffic stop. If you're making a traffic stop, you walk up to that car and you don't know what you're facing. Uh, so we have to have some empathy for them as well. Um, and we're not going to get anywhere in changing things without that. On the prisons, Stuart Butler, when he was at the Heritage Foundation some years ago, had an idea that I thought was terrific, which is we will reward prisons that have reduced recidivism rates and we will take money away from prisons that have high recidivism rates. Because unlike most other countries, we treat prison only in a punitive fashion. You've done something wrong, you're gonna go into this facility and you're gonna suffer for it and then we're going to dump you on the street with 10 bucks. Um, and, you know, you're not going to be able to find a job. Uh, you're going to be a pariah. And most likely you're going to end up back here. If we treat it as a rehabilitation process, if we train people for jobs, I mean, you know, I just there's another uh, wonderful documentary about how Bard College in New York City has uh, begun to Uh, use uh, school for young violent offenders in state prisons and they created a debate team and this debate team of felons beat Harvard and they beat all of these other top (laughs) college debate because they really saw it as something redemptive for them and these kids who've gotten out, many of whom made horrific mistakes when they were 16 or 17 are on their feet and they're incredibly productive citizens of the society. There are things that can be done. And of course, you know, the prison system resisted this. A lot of legislators resisted it. We're going to give a free education to these people in prisons when my kids have to pay tuition. Uh, But in fact, it's a huge benefit for society. We have to change our mindset. And, you know, on the empathy issue, when I see what Greg Abbott is doing in Texas now, When you see the reaction of people who call themselves pro-life shrugging their shoulders when women bleed to death because they aren't, don't have access to an abortion, but it's because they're having a miscarriage and doctors won't treat them now because of the vagueness of the laws or the nature of the laws, we got to start somewhere to bring back some sense of humanity in people, and we're a long ways away from it.
0: Yeah, we are, uh, Gentile. I know you need to go uh, soon, so I wanted to give you a chance uh, to address any of the things that um, Norm just said. And, you know, and as he's talking, it reminds me of yes, it's not just it's just a, not just the um, people who uh, are incarcerated who shouldn't be because of their psychiatric disorders. It's people who you know may have broken the law but even when they serve their time they pay for it for the rest of their lives they are at a deficit for the rest of their lives and for those watching uh, in order to understand that in a deep way please read michelle
3: alexander's the new jim crow so what i'm thinking about is how policy change works on multiple levels in the society right um things like what norma's doing um you know you get the data you spread the word, people who um, at the local levels can make change do. To get the change and the funding from the top down, though, requires the um, really good political messaging. In other words, because it's very easy for politicians to say, you know, law and order only means the more people you lock up, the better job you're doing. Whereas catching people with fentanyl coming in the border means you're doing a bad job. In other words, there's a lot of confusing messages. And I think the only way this at the, the messaging level is our streets are safer and we save money if we do this it this way. If we're wasting resources, locking people up who um, need treatment, if we don't rehabilitate, then it costs more and we're not safe. And the job of law enforcement is not just to enforce the law, but to make us safe, right? And so I just think there's got to be some some way – because otherwise, Democrats never are going to win on these points. Because if you say, I mean, which isn't to say what, look, documentary has to go out there. Training for the people who, you know, maybe even a motion picture film that shows these stories featuring, you know, I, I mean, I would love to see Norm be the hero of a movie. Um, you know, your son's story is so compelling. And and then, you know, just having one of these, having this message, and if the public cares about this, you still need to talk about keeping us safe and couching it differently. Or there's like, I don't know. I'm not that I'm a messaging person, but I always, I just feel like this is, you know, it's it's the old, um, you know, racist Willie Horton stuff always comes back um, to win. Um, and it's racism and lack of empathy uh, sells, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. And in terms of um, destigmatizing, I uh, you know, I, I just want to point out that's something that Norm said just really, it's, it's fascinating to me that the term mental illness, and I agree with you, Norm, we can't use it not because there's anything inherently wrong with the term mental yeah. illness. It's because in Western democracy, um, mental illness and physical illness have been bifurcated. They're the same thing. And yet we've come to see mental illness as a something separate and apart that deserves to be stigmatized. And that's where language really does matter. So, um, you know, I, I, I'll, I say psychiatric disorders, but, you know, because that makes sense to me in a particular way um, because of my training. But, uh, you know, brain disease, exactly. Because, you know, would you say to somebody, I mean, nobody's told ever, ever told me that I should just, you know, get more willpower so I don't have to take my yeah. asthma meds anymore. Um, but I'm sure there are people out there when I've been having, I have a complex post-traumatic stress disorder who have at times said, you know, you just need to go to the gym. Just come on, get like, uh, sure. Of course, of course. Let me pull myself up front by the bootstraps. I don't have. Thank you very much. So Jen, I think, you know, a part of it is just a serious reframing, um, and changing the the place from where we are coming at these issues, which are just issues, as you say, of humanity, empathy, and just you know, recognizing that we all struggle, um, and and somebody struggling in a way that's different from us, we, instead of rejecting it or or maligning them or belittling them, we need to try to understand them. Yes.
2: Uh, three quick things. First of all, what Norm is doing is so important because until for many Americans, someone who you know, who looks like you, has the same background, has the same education, experiences something, it's not real. It's just those other people. It's probably because their mothers were on cocaine when they were pregnant. It's all of these excuses and way of demeaning and marginalizing. And to understand that There are as many wealthy uh, kids who have a psychotic break as poor kids who have a psychotic break, Um, although poverty does affect one's um, uh, brain in many ways. Um, That is so important. Second thing is our entire approach to juvenile crime is horrendous. We all know now that the brain is not fully developed. Um, forget about age 21. It's really 25 is more appropriate. And there was this movement when crime rates were very high to treat 16-year-olds like adults. You remember that? 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds. Um, and pretty soon, you know, we're down to 12. And It takes a lot of public education to explain that a child who does something, even something horrendous at 16, need not be a criminal their entire lives, need not be saddled with that for their entire lives. So the way we respond to criminal um, justice and um, frankly, acting out in school, which is a whole nother issue about how um, people are, are treated. And the last thing that I would say is, you know, I think um, we finally have a president who has a deep reservoir of empathy. And I think this is an issue he can do so much more on that. It's not politically dangerous. To the contrary, you can get a lot of bipartisan support if you want to be just crass about it. Um, And, Every once in a while he does talk about it. Every once in a while he does say something. But to talk in the terms that we're talking, to hold a national um, summit on mental illness and the justice system would be such a contribution to, uh, I think, the discussion that uh, that is something that I'm certainly going to um, put my uh, shoulder to the wheel in terms of pushing for and advocating because I think you know, ultimately um, there's no one who has more influence and more money than the federal government. Um,
0: so. Yeah. Yeah. And and Norm, I think Jen points to a couple of really important issues. One is we criminalize everything in this country. We're the most punitive country possibly on the planet. It's stunning nice. to me. And a lot of, you, you know, uh, juvenile crime, a lot of that is, as Jen said, it's just kids acting out for various reasons and people in authority not wanting to take the time or not having the patience to understand what's going on. The other thing of course is resources. And I mean, I say this with all humility. I don't know where I would be in my life with what I deal with. If I weren't in a place of extraordinary privilege, you know, there was a time when I was, I had EMDR therapy. I had a trauma therapist. I had a normal kind of therapist. And I, I was getting ketamine. Ketamine alone is $450 for one treatment yeah so you know and there was a time when i was in a, a, a private facility which is insanely expensive but those kinds of treatment centers should be available to everybody and then of course jen's final point was putting a spotlight a bright shining light on this issue by people who have the power the platform and the bullhorn
1: You know, all all true. And one of the things that's so frustrating is I would be hard-pressed to find a family in America that hasn't been touched by this in one way or another. Exactly. Every single family has had people with some form of brain trauma, Uh, but we've never been able to mobilize because of the stigma in a way that every other disease or so many other diseases with many fewer people directly touched have been able to do. And it's stigma, of people who don't want to talk about it. I suspect, Mary, that you've had the same phenomenon that I have when I began to talk publicly about this, which is regularly communications from people saying, I've never told anybody this, but. Yep. And sometimes yep. it's about a family suicide. Sometimes it's about a child now who is in deep uh, trauma and danger and they don't have any idea what to do but they're ashamed to talk about it. And we, if we can get past that, we can, I think, mobilize a bit more. I would also say one of the heartening things, Um, early on, I talked to top people at the justice department about this. And it was right after uh, Merrick Garland had taken over the Phoenix police department because of all of its pathologies. (laughs) Um, And Uh, Vanita Gupta, who's the number three at the Justice Department, who's just a star, is terrific. And the the great guy who's the head of the Bureau of Justice Assistance went down to Miami um, and immersed themselves in uh, Judge Leifman's program. And they've come away just true believers that we can make a difference. And there is federal money for a lot of this to get it started. You can't, one of the other things to say is there are lots of places to say, yeah, we do this, we have a mental health court. If you just have a mental health court and most of the judges in mental health courts are not trained, um, I mean, you can have somebody who is floridly psychotic, comes up in front of a judge and somehow is perfectly all right at that moment because it's self-preservation. And the judge, instead of seeing the whole record says, well, you seem fine to me and they're out of there. Or they have no place to put them in any event. And we've got to deal with those who are not in the criminal justice system who have these issues or not deeply involved. But if we can get that initial funding done and begin to do the wraparound services, the comprehensive treatment, find the beds for people, get them places to live, give them the empathy that they deserve because they're just people who want to have their lives and they're afflicted with a disease that they did not cause. And this is not a set of willful acts. We will have a better society, but we'll also have a lot more money to spend on other things that are uh, necessities uh, that we have to deal with.
0: Yeah, which is which gets lost always uh, no. it, it because apparently some people just preferred the cruelty and and being punitive and somehow that makes them feel better about themselves. Uh, Yeah. It it is a mystery that needs to be solved. Before we wrap up, Jen, I want to give you a a couple minutes to talk about your exciting new project that everybody needs to register for as soon as possible. Sign up. First of
2: all, I have learned so much from this. I could talk to Norm all day long and I wouldn't have a thumbnail of the knowledge (laughs) he has. So... Thank you. Thank you. And I would go anywhere to listen to him. Um, Yes, beginning this Friday, I have a newsletter which is going to be a lot of the stuff that doesn't make it into the regular columns because, as you know, there's more news than we can all process humanly that. in is the there? course of the week, uh, and that even I, who write a lot, cannot cover. Um, so uh, every week, I'm going to touch on a couple big stories that I didn't get a chance to. Uh, my now famous or infamous uh, distinguished person or Apollo of the week, um, will be in the newsletter. Um, and then I'm going to show, um, uh, something else. Um, I think we, and me included, sometimes get too wrapped up in politics and policy. And on this initial episode, uh, I'll talk about a book I just read, um, by the other Norm, Norm Eisen, that isn't about, uh, politics the law per se and isn't about politics but it's about a very famous palace and um seeing some fascinating events that happened in prague in a residence that eventually became the u.s embassy it's a fabulous book it uh is a great reminder that if you get out and read people, you will expand your mind. You will be a happier, more informed person. Um, and you will be less annoying to your friends, I guarantee <laughs> Um, So you can go to my usual column. There's a little button. It's the buttons on the front page. I think of the, the post as well. It's on the opinion say, uh, site. Um, go ahead and sign up. You'll get it every week and uh, tell you your friends as well we've had yes. terrific phenomenal interest in just the first day so please oh that's great join the mob join the throng
0: yeah we'll have the link in the show notes and uh, we'll all uh promote it on twitter to the extent that that matters anymore thanks elon yeah, for breaking so. twitter but it so. does matter we can we'll make a dent for sure uh so highly recommend that if you if, one if you're not reading jed's column what's wrong with you um but i'm really looking forward to, to watching you get to do some stuff outside of the box. Cause that's always, uh, fun for those of us who, you know, we, sometimes we have to stay between the lines and it's really, it's awesome to see somebody get to paint outside them, uh, once in a while. Um, okay. This was great. I, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, but we keep getting overtaken by events as they say. And you know what, that's, that's, that's a choice. It may not feel like it in the moment, but it is. So we have the power to put on the brakes or at least press pause and focus on something that, not that the other stuff doesn't matter, but this is something that, as Norm said, affects almost everybody. And it doesn't get the attention it deserves. It is crucially important just in terms of people's individual humanity, but for for where we want to go, where who we want to be. and that has been that has been an issue uh, for the last seven years. Who exactly are we? Who do we want to be going forward? And what are we going to elevate? Uh, so Norm, I, I mean, especially in the wake of what happened to Matthew, I I cannot tell you, how much your work means. I can't tell you how deeply I admire you and love you. And I am just so grateful that I met you and that you're part of this weird Nerd adventure thing we have going on here. And we're not going to stop here. We're going to continue to find ways to promote these vitally important initiatives. So thank you so much, Norm, for everything you do, but also for taking time today to give us. Uh, we have a whole hour to talk about this with you. I feel, I feel incredibly privileged.
1: It was so wonderful of you uh, to do this, um, and uh, I send lots of love to both of you. All <laughs> right. You.
0: Norm Ornstein, Jen Rubin, Jen Taub, thank you so much for being here, and I will hopefully see you soon. <laughs> Ah okay. That was a lot. But uh again, Norm is just incredible with the work he does. And it was uh it, it it means a lot to me that we were able to take time. Um because we can't keep getting derailed, it's not good for anybody, you know. It's really like last week, every time I turned around, we had to change the schedule so we could have another flip an emergency session. So um I I mean, I'm not going to pretend that that's going to stop because uh, there continues to be so much swirling around and we know that there are probably more indictments coming and more uh, reactions to what happened. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Justin Johnson was reinstated unanimously by his district and uh, returned, was sworn in again. And returned. Uh, so it, you know, who knows what the Republicans are going to do next? And we have uh, the the rogue, Christofascist judge in Amarillo, Texas, uh, most likely making Mephistoprone one of the safest uh, medications on the market, much safer than things like penicillin, and much, much safer than things like Viagra. Uh, illegal in the entire United States, even if you live in a state in which abortion is legal. So things are just going to keep going at a breakneck pace. But as I said, it's up to us to decide when and where to take a step back and focus on something about which we can actually do something in the moment. So thanks for being here today. Um, We will be back uh, finally this Friday, most likely. Yeah, This Friday, we'll have the wrap. Uh, 12 noon eastern 9 a.m pacific i'm seriously hoping it there won't be another emergency session and uh of course we'll be back next week uh tuesday with the nerds 12 p.m eastern 9 a.m pacific you can go to youtube.com politicon uh to uh watch those while you're on youtube sorry politicon's youtube page you can if you didn't catch the show live, you can watch. Uh, you can watch it there. They all live there. You can like the episode. You can leave a comment. Uh, you can click on that. Wow, what's wrong with me? There we go. Click on that bell to subscribe. So that just means you'll be notified every time a new show drops. Obviously, you can listen to all the shows in podcast form on, on Apple or wherever else you get your um podcasts and five-star reviews very 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 much appreciated because uh we want more people to know about the show and of course we're taking the show on the road uh mary trump and a couple of nerd adventures and special guests will be at the house of blues in chicago on may 7th Cobb's comedy club in chicago on may 9th sorry sorry comedy club in san francisco on may 9th on may 10th we'll be at the aladdin theater in portland oregon and in my hometown on May 16th, we'll be at the Gramercy, Gramercy Theater in New York City. Really want you guys to be there. I promise you, it is going to be off the charts. Uh, we have a lot of great stuff in store for you. You do not want to miss it. To get your tickets, go to politicon.com slash tour. And, uh, you know, I'll keep reminding you and we will uh, I'll be tweeting about it uh, so it will be inescapable. So you may as well just get your ticket now. That's all. Okay. Uh, this was uh, quite a day and um, lots to take in, but I, I hope you got as much out of it as, as I did. Uh, so thank you again, especially to Norm Ornstein, uh to Gentel, to Jen Rubin. And don't forget about Jen Rubin's newsletter. It's going to be great. She's a phenomenal writer and it'll be really cool to see uh, where she takes her newsletter That is it for today. Uh, Thank you so much. I will see you Friday, 12 noon, Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for The Wrap. In the meantime, please stay safe and be kind.